Watch us on the web at english.rti.org.tw. Thanks so much for so much for joining us today here on Radio Taiwan International. Up ahead this hour, it's hashtag Taiwan highlights and in the spotlight, where we kick off today's episode with a brand new edition of Here in Taiwan. Welcome to Here in Taiwan. If you're just joining us on Facebook, today is Wednesday, December 23rd. Otherwise, it's Christmas Eve, December 24th. I'm yes, John Van Trieste. Christmas color here. Yeah, and I'm Shirley Lin. <laughs> and I'm working here with this brand new console and all these new mics that I've just walked I in know. and saw. Is this fancy? <laughs> this, just, this is brand new for me. I hope I don't like hit the wrong button. Yeah, hopefully no more hissing sounds. Yes, I so think we've you, solved yeah. that issue permanently. So right. thank you for all of us who were, let us know about that issue. Mm-hmm. Anyway, coming up next, the Taiwan Wild Bird Federation is publishing the first ever report on Taiwan's bird life. I'm surprised no one else has gotten to that yet. Then, what a COVID case has revealed about one Taiwanese women's odd work habits. And please don't throw pig guts, the Speaker of Taiwan's legislature implores. Will lawmakers listen? We'll be talking about that in just a moment. Please stick around. Well, we have Jen Delari saying hello, and Douglas North saying hello. Hi there. Is our, is our sound quality and, better? Uh, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, it should be. Look at these fancy mics. I, I know. What, they and just, kind of, just compliment me on the Christmas colors. Santa's, Thank you, Jen. Santa's elves must have put them in here in the studio overnight <laughs> while we weren't looking. Right. I'm also sitting in a green chair. All right. <laughs> All green and red. All right. Anyway. Time to begin. Yes. Like oh, wait, I said, wait, wait. Can I what? show my red shoes? I'm even wearing if red we must. Shoes here. If I must. See, I got, I'm even wearing red shoes with, yes, uh, white laces. How festive. Yeah, I just have to. Sorry. Okay, you can go on, John. <laughs> um, I'm surprised that no one got around to this before. I mean, I've, I know we have, like, bird guides and stuff. Why are we only just now getting our first ever report on Taiwan's bird life? They kind I of know. waited a while. I mean, haven't birders right? been around for here for a long time? We have yeah. an association, an Audubon sort of association and everything. I know. I, I, I find it surprising, too. They must be very busy people. That's all I can think of. All right. They actually spent a very long time in getting together all this information, but I don't know why I had to spend that long. Anyway, it's the Taiwan Wild Bird Federation that just made the announcement on Tuesday that they would publish, not yet published yet, they don't know, I, I don't know when, um, that nation's first comprehensive report on the 600, oh, I meant to have you Guess how many? Well, you gave it away. <laughs> oh, I gave it away. 674 wild bird species documented in Taiwan hmm. and the threats about fa- you know the, that these birds are facing. I'm sure they're probably all faced with some kind of threat, except for um, the invasive minor bird, because right. they're, they're like spreading like crazy. Yeah. So the Federation made the announcement along with the Council of Agriculture's Endemic Species Research Institute at a press conference in Taipei to you know announce this. So the State of Taiwan's Birds 2020 report compiles long-term observation data collected by researchers, citizen um, scientists, that means like, you know, general public scientists, Mm. and then birders who are, do you know what birders are? Yeah, we have tons of them at the station too. They like lead expeditions on the weekends. Right. So they are people who observe 
observe or identify as wild birds in their habitats. And um, yeah, we know Frances. She actually She's is the a head of our public relations department. Yeah, bird watch kind of like you know a tour guide. Aficionado. Kind of. She's great. Yeah, she's you, yeah, have it's you been, been doing on one this. Of her? Yes, I have several years ago, and I meant to go again, but uh, you know you have to be up really early in the morning, <laughs> yeah. meeting at seven in the morning because you know the birds. birds uh, don't they, wait for people. They're, right. The early bird, as they say. Early bird. Yeah, right. And so um, the data dates back to 1972. So they have been waiting a long time to publish this stuff. I know. And anyway, well, that's very impressive. And thank you so much for all the work. So this Chinese language version of the report, which is near completion, so okay. it's not quite there yet, will be released soon. It doesn't give the date, along with a summary reports in Chinese and English. Okay. And adding that future editions will be published biannually, which means once every two years. Yeah, that's, well, yeah. that's a lot uh, more frequently the, the, than they have been doing so far. Right. So of these 674 wild bird species documented in Taiwan, 52 are threatened endangered, while the populations of 29 breeding birds and 15 migratory water birds are declining. You know, this report is not going to come up as, as something very positive. It's not surprising, <laughs> but it's also, it's still sad. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It is really sad. It's what you would expect, but mm. still. So the report had as threats faced by the birds, so not just about the birds, but also the threats faced by them, including climate change, of course. Mm. Invasive bird species. Yeah, I know. There's some, I think these minor birds from some other part of Asia, and they're everywhere. Yeah. And loss and degradation of wetlands. Mm poisoning. Ew, really? People poison them? Or is it accidental? Or it's accidental. Like they swallow something they shouldn't. Yeah. Okay. And then wild bird trade. Uh, that's still... That's still happening? Happening, I guess. Who, who does that, though? Like, I know. And seabird bycatch, which that? means that, you know, people catch... They want to catch other kind of birds, but then by accidentally, they also caught some other birds that they didn't mean to catch. That's called a... The seabird, seabird bycatch. Who's out there catching seabirds? Like seagulls? Those are the things. There's you have no to, specifics you don't have to here. Catch them. They'll come to you. All you have to do is have some French fries. <laughs> I don't think there's any particular catch. need to. They're, they, see, there's a poisoning there, the French fries. <laughs> Pretty sure there. <laughs> okay. And the Federation has been communicating with government agencies about mitigating the effects of energy installations on wetlands because oh. someone brought up about, you wind know, what about power. solar panels? Well, wind power. And, and, and wind power, and offshore wind, yeah, wind farms. And I was thinking like, oh, well... The thing was that they were just only tracing about, you know, wetland degradation for like the past two or three decades. Mm. So the next thing they're going to get to is energy development that's mm. causing these, you know, yeah, uh, detrimentation think, to these birds. I think we have our first offshore wind farm that's just coming up now. So I know. Uh, I'm sure they'll have a lot of lot to look at uh, in terms of that. Cause yeah, bird lovers going to be complaining and, you know, like, I don't know protesting about that i'm mm. sure um so uh so they will study up on you know um what is it again on the energy installations in in future editions mm -hmm. of the report okay so Taiwan is home to 29 endemic bird species and 55 endemic subspecies mm. meaning the nation's conservation efforts are critical to their survival and uh, migratory birds that winter in Taiwan come from northern countries. So, Siberia. Yeah. Korea. So, yeah. So this report, Taiwan's data, is very important and helpful for other countries. Okay. You know, so for that matter. So it's worth consulting, you know. Yeah. So we needed this report, even though it took such a long time to well, put it together. I don't understand why it took so long. Right. Now, Taiwan is not a member of the UN. But the nation still refers. <laughs> and we got kicked out of the international, what was it, Federation? The Birding Federation? They kicked yeah. us out too. Ugh. Yeah. Um, it's the Bird Life International. Well, 
Um, well, because we our membership, we won't is- share our data with you. <laughs> <laughs> We're keeping it to ourselves, <laughs> right? Um, well, you know, the thing is that because we couldn't, you know, we got canceled by the BirdLife International due to pressure from Beijing, um, but we are actually in close cooperation with other member states such as Japan, Malaysia, and UK. Okay. So we, even though we don't have access to, you know, the international activities held by the organization, so, but um, yeah. Uh, you know, for that matter, um, we still refer to the UN Convention on Biological Diversity to publish related reports and contribute its data. Oh. I mean, we need to, you know, because we have these birds, right? And also, yeah. yeah, birds are wintering here. The Federation in September renamed itself, replacing the word Chinese with Taiwan. Well, they got and kicked we can out. Understand why. So there was really nothing yes. stopping them. And it just only happened in September, actually. Um, so anyway. Drama in the bird go. world. <laughs> yeah, so this report, even though it took such a long time to put together, I'm sure it's very precious. It's filled with a lot of information information and data and um it's coming out soon not quite yet but it's coming out soon in another 40 some years <laughs> no i hope hopefully not they're finishing up the chinese version okay and they i think they eventually will have the english version someday i mean after all you know all these birds coming from other countries wintering yeah. here they need this report in english as well we have a couple of very interesting but we have the um, what's it called the black-faced spoonbill yeah that's the one that i think most people think of when they think of migratory birds that winter here right it's kind of you the, know it's kind of oh, weird because a lot of people probably haven't seen him before. It's, it's yeah. a very descriptive name because it has like this black, black bill, funky looking, mouth. yeah, bill that covers half its face. Right, but the rest of it's white. White, right? right. Yeah. It's beautiful. They are. You know, I thought that living in a city, I won't be able to see big birds. Oh, sure. But you I've can. seen some big sized birds. I don't know what the names the are. There Taiwan are two types. blue magpie. There's a blue magpie. Can you imagine? You, th- I thought I would have to go into nature. Deep into nature to see that they, kind of they bird. Hang out around they're here. beautiful, and I think you know because Taiwanese people are so friendly, right? So they're not afraid of human. I think. Yeah. And and there's another big bird. It's huge. It's got long legs and it's usually stand. You know, you you see them around the city streets and those scare I, me. Because yeah, they stand, they stand. I don't know what they're called either. I, I know what you're know. talking about. Yeah, they stand extremely still. I know. They and you don't know huge. that they're there, and then you see them suddenly, and I, I jump every time. I know they're big. These dumb birds. You know, I thought I would only see sparrows. You know, we have or, those pigeons. Or pigeons, but you see these other big birds in yeah. in, in in Taipei City itself. Yeah, so, so they, they're not. Uh, not all of them are afraid of us, I guess. No, no, not at all. But they're beautiful. Mm. I really hope this is not the beginning of a COVID nightmare because um, it took like a, what, two weeks almost to find out about it? Yeah. Um, I guess not all of our listeners will be familiar with the story. So this guy from New Zealand who's a pilot uh, flew to the U.S. and I think to the Philippines as well, Got mm-hmm. a, developed a cough, didn't wear a mask, yeah. which is great in the middle of a global pandemic where the significant symptom is coughing. Infected two pilots, and then uh, because for some reason someone decided it was a great idea to only make pilots and flight crews quarantine for three days, three days. as opposed to the 14 that everyone else has to go through. Right. So this pilot who was sick, who infected two other people and was clearly coughing a lot, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, went around three, well, two major department stores and a Costco, which is a zoo here. <laughs> Yes. Um, and so I'm sure that they were packed. Uh, and I don't know how many, I don't think it's quite clear. They've contract traced and all that. Right. They're still in the process of doing anyway, that. Anyway, at least one local person was infected. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so this woman has been at the center, I guess, of increased attention yes. because of maybe unwanted attention yes. uh, because of uh, this whole... Well, we went... I'm kind of mad. We were like, went till eight from since April. We haven't had a single case. And this yeah, guy went and ruined months. it. Yeah, no domestic cases. Knowing, not asymptomatic, like knowing that they've been in a hot spot, not wearing a mask, infecting co-pilots, and then running around like... Like, like, you should just stay at home. John's mad. I am. John's really angry right now. I'm, <laughs> I'm afraid to go to the gym now. Oh. I was doing the math the other day. I was like, what are the chances that someone in the gym was at that department store that day? Like, I know. who knows? Yeah, who knows? Anyway, right? and then this woman got sick, and he mm-hmm. might get fined $10,000, which I think is a light getting a slap on the wrist, considering that you're threatening 23 million people. Mm-hmm. And how many livelihoods? Like, they had to shut down one of the department stores he visited early to disinfect. Right. They lost right. four and a half hours of business. I mean, so, yeah, I think $10,000 and maybe losing your job, the airlines reviewing that, uh, is quite a, quite a generous... <laughs> <laughs> I would have gone a lot harsher. Anyway, uh, it is their fault for setting the rule. And he that, wasn't really honest from the beginning, no, too. No, he lied about being in contact with this woman. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't want to speculate. But anyway, um, anyway he's okay. getting fined. And uh, anyway, this woman has now, unfortunately, been... Uh, I don't know if it's a target or... Anyway, people are paying attention. And yeah. they, they found out some stuff about her. Um, I just want to say that Douglas realized that you're justifiably mad, right? I am. Because <laughs> like, we, were, we were doing so good. Yeah, and we this were. one guy who wouldn't wear a mask room. Yes. Okay, so um, there's more about this woman who's infected. Apparently, she works for a particular company, and one of her colleagues, um, a a social media user, kind of went online and talked about the fact that this she knows this woman, or he knows this woman, I guess, and um, that she likes to spend 30 minutes at the water cooler. What I, do they, they don't call it the pantry here, do they? I you know, it's maybe a British term. Yeah, it's, okay. It's the anyway. area. It's not an actual water it's, cooler in Taiwan. Yeah. It's a place that has like a hot water machine that you can make tea with. Right. That's basically, right. or maybe like a place to wash the dishes, like with a sink. And people yeah. do even here chat tend to chat in there a little bit. But right, right, yeah. At at, R, at RTI, yeah. if, every floor we have a, a little kitchenette. I'd say that's basically There's what a this what the microwave and a, mm-hmm. and a and a griller uh, a grill. Uh, uh, sorry, it's a toaster a, oven. Toaster oven. That's what I meant. <laughs> okay, not a grill. But anyway. So uh, apparently this woman likes to go from floor to floor visiting people, doing work, okay, and then spend like 30 minutes at the water cooler. What could you and, spend 30 minutes to hang right. out there doing? So that's what is puzzling this colleague, you know, what would, and so he threw this question online asking everybody, like, what would you do spending 30 minutes at a water cooler? And Giving some people, people COVID. <laughs> well, what do you think people um, do usually when they get water from the water cooler? They, they like to chat. And it's more gossip. I mean, well, okay, well, of course, I, physically not, getting water. And we're not really gossipy gossip. here. but Well, they say that that's the place where women, female workers, like to gossip. But half an hour on, on the, on the job is, very, is a bit excessive. It is, right? Or they say, you know, like women like to hang out around a water cooler besides getting the water. Well, that's pretty... They kind of chat with other female colleagues that's... and they complain about 
problems with the in-laws. Well, that's pretty about, sexist, I think. You know, but, um, um, you know, problems at home with the kids, with the husband, or something like that. But anyway, I think it's if, if it's if it's true, I think that the pilot may not be the only person losing their job. Well, actually, this colleague did not reveal exactly what that woman does thirty minutes at the water cooler. I mean, but it was a, the discussion. I don't think it's very fair. Like, it could be an exaggeration. They might just not get along, and they just want to trash talk. Right. True. Um, true. I think it it's worthy of further investigation, but definitely. Yeah. Well, they, he wasn't ex- he wasn't sharing about what exactly she this woman was doing, but it kind of it, this article is more about the discussion among all the social media users about you know what they have observed about people who would spend thirty minutes at water cooler. Okay, and then there was uh, somebody else was saying that oh you know people like to talk about their cross cultural romance, and then kind of like you know uh, different episodes so they can spend thirty minutes. Is at that the water implying cooler. that there was some cross cultural romance going on in this particular case? in this particular uh, you know company with uh, some people who were oh. just in this, this discussion together? Okay, um, then uh, they say that it's the place where you can collect all kinds of gossip about your colleagues and things going on in their life or their love life or whatever. And one person said, this is the only place that I that the person I admire, like a secret admirer, um, would say hi to me. Was at the water cooler. Okay. <laughs> that was something that somebody shared. And then somebody so, else was saying... I guess the point of this article is actually she's not alone. People in Taiwan... Yeah. While they should be working or are hanging are out. hanging out, right. Well, somebody else was saying that um, with this one particular female colleague was actually at the water cooler for more than an hour. How do they not get like in trouble from their bosses? I guess the boss wasn't watching or wasn't there or was on away on business trip. Do they just, local, have, do they just have nothing to do? Um, anyway, yeah. And then so then this other colleague was sending like one of her best friends in the office to find out what's happening. If anything's happening to her but then that colleague didn't come back so then everybody started going over the water cooler and figuring out is, is something wrong with the woman or something what well, it turned out is she just broke up <laughs> broke up a relationship with her boyfriend and everybody was listening to her moans and groans about it and everybody was just yeah hanging around the water cooler listening to her story okay. and crying with her so what this COVID case has revealed is that Taiwanese people are secretly slackers, <laughs> is what you're saying. Well, not not at RTI. <laughs> no, anyway. I think people like wash their dishes. Oh, you know what? People all... actually, somebody else was saying that people actually cook in the kitchenettes at the water cooler. Well, I don't have any. We spend have a microwave. Well, you know what? I have seen some of our colleagues, not from the English service, that actually would blanch their, you know, fresh brought in vegetables and and, and cook a meal. Uh, you know, I yeah. do that. Yeah, maybe their own lunchbox. Uh, yeah, I have seen that. So maybe for vegetarians. So I was going, oh, that's interesting. But are you? I've never seen you in there, like hanging out. No, I only go in there because they have a trash can and a waste paper basket. Yes, for recycling. I go there often to get hot water for my, you know, my thermal, and um, to use the the the, um, the uh, microwave mm. to heat up my lunch. I have used and it dinner. like once or twice. Yeah, yeah, I do go a lot. Yeah, often. Okay. And wash my utensils at the end of the day, that kind of thing. So. I don't know. Um, I think our, we're pretty good about not hanging out around there, but. Yeah. By the way, our kitchenette is really a very interesting shape. It's more like a half moon shaped because it's at the. It um, connects two wings of the building. Right, right, right. On yeah. all the floors. Yeah, on all the floors. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, trying to imagine. we're pretty good about not hanging out there. Anyway, I'm scared to go to the gym. I think this guy should be kicked out of the country. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Just me and my vengeful mood. Well, word has it that um, 
he actually works for, oh, should I say, no, never mind. An airline. The, the, an airline, and the airline is thinking about firing That's him. That's what I said, but I, again, oh, yeah. given, like, I mean, people could die. I know. If it gets out of control, because it took them how long to realize, and so we still don't know. None of the stories that I've read have revealed how they found out, like, he that, was just walking around. How did he end up getting tested? Did, oh. he turn him, did he go and seek medical help eventually, or...? Right, you're I right. I no do details know, about that I don't yet. know, like, none of that seems to have been revealed. So there's a lot about the story we don't quite know, but I mm. just feel like... John's just mad. Yeah, like, <laughs> if you've been coughing in the middle of a global pandemic where coughing know, is the main coughing symptom... coughing is a symptom, yeah. You put on a mask and you stay home. I know. You don't go endangering people, like, so you can go Christmas shopping or on a date or whatever it was they were doing. Right. So, anyway, that's just my two cents. Uh... The law is the law. They'll take care of it. Speaking of gross things, um, I don't know if you guys remember... It was about a month ago now, wasn't it? Uh, mm, when a protest, it yeah. When a protest at the legislature about plans to let in U.S. pork treated with this one additive called ractopamine resulted in lawmakers, I think mostly from the opposition, KMT, mm-hmm. uh, throwing pig guts on the floor. That is so gross. And I can't imagine that happening anywhere else. Um, well, <laughs> really? actually, if you're tuning in on December 24th, this may be going on right now. Um, there's a <laughs> series of new discussions about the pork issue schedule. Um, specifically, it looks like they're going to vote on, let's yeah. see, nine, I don't know what this is, nine administrative directives related to American pork imports. Uh, anyway, uh, the KMT is planning to another protest, both inside and outside the walls of the legislature. And legislative speaker Yoshi Kun has asked them, please do not throw pig guts. <laughs> really? You know, they're going to be, their bags are going to be checked at the door before they can go in. They had buckets. It was disgusting. Oh, oh. Like, and think of the poor cleaners. Like, I know. Anyway, um, so. It really stink. Um, yeah, they're going to have a vote on these nine things. Well, uh, the speaker said that if this happens again with foreign and domestic media making reports, it's going to be very harmful for Taiwan's international image. Um, huh. I, but I think that, like, the normal stuff that they get up to in there isn't exactly, um, what, what should I say? It doesn't exactly paint a glowing, rosy picture about our, uh, <laughs> legislative democracy. It's, yeah, let's just say our um, lawmakers are very dramatic. They you like know, to they, punch they, each other. Yeah, they, um... Throw water. They have mm-hmm. water bottles that they throw at each other. They like to, like... What was it? They had air horns last time? That, yeah. That was, I think... I don't know if that was the same time with the pig guts or a different time. They've but, tried everything. Like, to keep some the guy from speaking, to keep the premier from speaking, mm-hmm. um... Like, they surrounded the podium. They were shoving and pushing each other. This is just the grossest of a string of things I know. that they've done. Not mention the fact that they break mics and, uh, and, and the podium and, and things like that. Our, that's our, really terrible. I mean, we pay taxes here. That's our, our money at work, you know? Yeah, really. Um, I mean, really, uh, I guess <laughs> that's their way, you know, to get attention from the media. So that it, will, it, it would be reported. Attention. It would be on TV. So attention. that CNN would report on it. <laughs> It's like, really, they should be going into acting. I've always always thought that. Like, they're really good at, like... um, Totally. At uh, dramatic scenes, yeah. Yeah, but we're talking about, you know... Extras in a film, a a war movie. Either female or male legislators, just the same. Everyone is the same, yeah. Everyone's the same. Um, 
Yeah. As a Taiwanese voter, because you're the one who can vote in this room, uh, do you feel? Right. How do you? Does that make you feel like it's? Do you think it's funny? Because some people do, or does it leave you feeling a little it, bit it, ashamed? It, it, Ashamed. Embarrassed. I, I, I am a little embarrassed. I mean, really, I don't hear of any other countries, you know, legislators doing like that, that, that kind of thing, right? At least they well, keep order in the, in the I legislature. Mean, there are awful politicians everywhere, but yes. I think that ours are by far the most rambunctious, um, <laughs> the most dramatic, the most. And, yeah, and I, I, I don't know. So, have lawmakers in your country ever pulled such a stunt? <laughs> Please let us know in the comments below. What's um, the worst? You know, yeah. what have they thrown or? <laughs> What have they done? I don't know. People got hurt, you know, the legislature here. They, they were here. No, no, no. I mean, our legislators, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, I saw them you know? shoving. And they, 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 right. And they get sent to the the hospital. Did that and really happen? That has. Yeah. I mean, that has. And, or even, even people fainting or something. I don't know. Anyway, um, so that is on well, Thursday's calendar. We'll see what gets thrown, who gets punched. It's no, like a, no more, you know, pig intestines. No, yeah, that, was, that intra- was a that bit, really gross. That was a bit over. Uh, that was yeah, a bit too far. That, that really is too far. So, all right. Well, that just about does it for today's edition of Here in Taiwan. I'm John Van Trieste, and I'm Shirley Lin. If you're joining us on the radio, please stay tuned because up next it's hashtag Taiwan highlights and in the spotlight. <laughs> And welcome to Hashtag Taiwan. I'm your host, Leslie Liao. Thank you so much for joining me. Here's a question for you. As far as the most important countries in the world go, where would you think Taiwan ranks on that list? For that matter, where does your country rank on that list? Well, last week, a New York Times opinion piece actually said that Taiwan was the most important place in the world. Now, you might be thinking the person who wrote the article in question was Taiwanese. Heck, you might even think I wrote that article because that is totally something that I would write. But the truth is, the article was written by an investment official at Morgan Stanley, so he probably knows what he's talking about. Why does he say Taiwan, a small country off the coast of China, is the most important place in the world? Well, that's what we're going to explore in this week's Hashtag Taiwan. We're also going to take a look at some of the responses to that article. Anyway, this is all coming up next on Hashtag Taiwan. Don't go away. I'll be the first to admit, I love Taiwan. Many viewers have pointed out that I even have a sticker proclaiming Taiwan number one on my laptop. But I also know that I'm a little biased. I was born in Taiwan and I spent the last seven years here. My love for Taiwan is, dare I say, subjective, personal, and a circumstance of pure chance. Would I still love Taiwan had I been born anywhere else? Hard to say. This week's hashtag Taiwan doesn't focus on loving Taiwan, but it does at least admire the country. On December 14th, the New York Times published an opinion piece titled, Pound for Pound, Taiwan is the most important place in the world. Now, don't get me wrong, I love Taiwan, but that article title still makes me go... Really? The opinion piece was written by Rushir Sharma. He is the chief global strategist at Morgan Stanley Investment Management. Why does Mr. Sharma claim that Taiwan is the most important place in the world? Chips. No, not that kind of chip. 
I'm talking about the kind of chips that are powering the device you're watching this show on right now. Mr. Sharma says faster, more powerful chips are the critical building blocks of rapidly evolving digital industries like artificial intelligence and high-speed computing. Where does the world get these cutting-edge chips? Taiwan. I know what you're thinking. But Leslie, the world's largest tech companies like Apple, Google, and Intel aren't Taiwanese. You're right, they're not. But those companies rely on Taiwan to supply the chips in your iPhones, iPads, and computers. Taiwanese companies like Foxconn and TSMC assemble products for other major brands. In fact, the article points out that in the 2010s, Foxconn was producing 40% of the world's consumer electronics. South Korean tech titan Samsung also produces chips, but the New York Times article says that because it makes products that compete with other major brands, other companies aren't too keen on giving Samsung their money. Taiwan is perfectly fine collecting a paycheck without any of the fame. In response to the article, Asire Talbos said that in addition to the country's chip-making prowess, in Taiwan, the leaders trusted science and were ahead of the curve on COVID-19. We are quite fortunate. I think Taiwan's success with handling COVID-19 definitely helped domestic productivity, allowing it to overtake foreign competitors. Steve Hartzler says, plus, the people are quite nice. I agree. In a snarky reply, Charles Smith says the U.S. is too keen on keeping corporation assets low. That way, company performance looks better on paper. That's why they outsource to Taiwan. He ends by saying the Chinese simply have to establish their own fab plants in China, and the U.S. and Taiwan are toast. If you mean toast in the sense that toast is delicious or that it goes well with butter, then you couldn't be any more accurate, good sir. In all seriousness, though, a separate CNBC article said that China is still behind when it comes to chip making and will have a hard time catching up with the state of the art. Geographically speaking, Taiwan is small. Population-wise, we only have about 24 million people. But for all of our shortcomings in quantity, we more than make up for in quality. I encourage you to do a little digging into the device you're watching this show on. Odds are there's a little piece of Taiwan in it. But just remember, that little piece is helping you do big, big things. And that just about does it for this week's Hashtag Taiwan. What do you think? Do you think Taiwan is the most important place in the world? Do let me know. Why don't you send us a message on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Taiwan Insider or facebook.com slash Radio Taiwan International. You can always reach out to me, the host, Leslie Liao, at facebook.com slash Leslie Liao 0211. Send me a personal message there and let me know what you think. I'd love to hear from you. Anyway, until next week, stay safe, stay happy, and stay healthy. I'll talk to you again soon. We now turn to the story of another overseas couple who are in Taiwan due to COVID-19. That's right. Now, this couple came from the Philippines to Taiwan in March to have in vitro fertilization. Now, they were planning to go back to the Philippines to have the babies, but by then the pandemic had grown worse and they ended up staying in Taiwan longer than they planned. Laura and her husband are celebrating the first month anniversary of the birth of their twins. We decided to uh, come Taiwan to IVF because we want to have my, our own baby.
They arrived in Taiwan in March, and Laura was able to get pregnant via in vitro fertilization. But by then, the pandemic in the Philippines had taken a turn for the worse. They postponed their return home, worried about the risk of infection, and eventually gave birth in Taiwan by way of cesarean section. Because of this COVID-19, and we want here also, we want to deliver our babies here. So you are sure that you will go back to your country on January 7th? Doctors say that there is another overseas couple at the hospital also hoping to have their baby here where it's safe in Taiwan. Those babies are adorable. I love the way they dress them up and everything. It's so cute. And it's great. They actually ended up having twins, one boy, one girl. You know, what's really interesting is they actually already had four children that they adopted. And they'd been trying for 17 years to have babies of their own. So it's great that they were able to do that. Now, because they stayed in Taiwan so long, they ended up using all of their money on their stay in the in vitro fertilization. Uh, But the hospital actually is paying for their plane tickets back home. Oh, that's good. We wish them the very best. Dinner is served. Join Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu as they sample their way through Taiwan's culinary delights. Andrew, I thought we said no more intestines. <clears throat> That's on Feast Meets West every Saturday, only on Radio Taiwan International, radio for refined palates. From a bar mitzvah at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem to a temple procession in Taipei. The people of our world are passionate about their beliefs. Are you listening? Tune in to the sounds of your world on Radio Taiwan International. Radio Taiwan International. Any day, any time at english.rti.org.tw. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Wei Yuhong is a Taiwanese fashion designer, but he's all the way in the Netherlands. I had the honor of talking to him over the phone. His dad was in the cosmetics industry, so Wei Yu always had a knack for what's pretty when he was little. He also remembered when he was young how he watched his mom working on turning tree bark into textile. It made such an impression on him that he made sure that he promotes sustainability in whatever he does. That's why he decides to collaborate with textile companies, clothes brand companies to take their leftover fabrics and turn them into wearable clothes, like give them a second life. You cannot believe how much leftover stocks of fabric we create around the world each year. It's appalling if you were to watch videos depicting this phenomenon on Wei Yu's website, and which is www.weiyuhong.com. This week, we will learn from Wei Yu why he chose the Netherlands over London, for example, as a place to pursue his fashion career. Now, why did you decide to go to study fashion in the Netherlands? 
before I moved into the Netherlands, I live in London. Oh, okay. So I guess I work uh, in London for a few months. Uh, the reason I moved to London is because I, after working for a few years, I think I want to do um, something more close to what I believe. I mean, like what I mentioned, what share with you, like the craftsmanship and also like sustainability and also the social uh, the social issue. I mean, especially on community engagement. Okay. I mean, I want to do something more close to my heart. <laughs> I see. So, and I moved to London because I expect myself will take my master. I mean, in London because everyone say if you want to study fashion, you have to go to London. But I mean, for me, I don't have any ideas about. I mean, London, Italy, or other countries. So my first step is okay. I got a uh, opportunity to work there, so I I moved to London. Then uh, I met some friend who um, took their, I mean, master's degree at like University of Art London or Royal College of Art in London. But I noticed we share like different kind of values because what they are doing is they are they really jump into uh, the systems. I mean, the fashion system to create fashion in a very high speed. But mm. it's totally not what I want to do because I expect people to slow down their pace to like really feel, to really, to really see, to really feel and really experience or wear uh, the clothes to see like the details. I mean, on, on the closings or feel... Um, the textures, also like listen, like the story behind the closings. Okay. That is what I want to do. So um, after working for a few months in London, I feel, oh, sorry, this is not my <laughs> style. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you only there for a few I, months. Yeah, around like half years. But I have a friend like who took her uh, master's degree in the Netherlands. She, she told me maybe um, the Dutch design would be something suitable for you. Oh. So I contact with some um, like people in the Netherlands mm-hmm. uh, and I feel more connection with them. I mean, when we talk about like giving the second life to the second garment or uh, the craftsmanship, we find more clothes. So that is the reason I choose Netherlands to take my master. Oh, I see. So you're in Amsterdam? No, I live in Arnhem. It's a small city in eastern... Oh, eastern uh, Netherlands. Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, okay. How far is it from Amsterdam? It's around like one one hour uh, by train. By train? So, so it's, it's a city? It's a, yeah, it's a city. Oh, okay. So it's not like that's kind of far, but it's a very Arnhem have a strong like energy. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, in fashion. Oh, really? I mean, especially wow. fashion okay. because of the because of the artists. Artists is in as a college, artists university of art. Oh, okay. Because there are a lot of like very outstanding uh, fashion designers. Mm. I mean, from this school like the Victor Rolf. 
and also like Irisvan Herbin. Uh-huh. Yeah, so like Clay's Everton. I mean, they have like totally different kind of approach, mm. but they really have a strong like inner motivations to oh. keep their position. I mean, in the whole industry. Mm. So that is quite interesting. Okay. So what's it like living there? I'm sure you really like the city. What is it that you like about it compared to Taiwan? Um, <laughs> generally, I mean, the the appearance is is quite different. But I mean, in the lifestyle, I think there are no nothing different for me. Oh, okay. But it's a very it's a very 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 calm. Um, the city with a slow pace. Oh, I, <laughs> I just, see. I live, I mean, beside a big church. Uh-huh. So, you know, like every day I will listen bell ring. Do you miss Taiwan food? Something I miss a lot. A lot? <laughs> I mean, there's no Chinatown there where you, um, where you are. No, like in Arnhem, we don't have the Chinatown. So yeah. we only have the Chinatown in Amsterdam. Amsterdam. Den Haag. Oh, okay. And Rotterdam, I think. Oh, Rotterdam. Yes, of course. Okay. Only in the big city. All right. Hey, Weiyu, so what's your dream? What do you want to go from here? You know, yeah, maybe like five years, ten years down the road. I mean, what's your dream? I have to say it's really a big question. Uh (laughs) Very commercially, I have to say. I expect, like, we got... I mean, big success on um, on the markets, mm. and it's not only because I mean we are we have to earn money, but I I hope like we can like introduce like um, the Asian culture and embrace like literature and handicrafts. I mean to to let more people know about like this kind of like stuff because of the people are too rush, I mean, on chasing um, the trend. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not a bad thing, but I expect people could slow down their pace <sighs> to really listen to, like, the textile, to really, really listen to, like, the stories or or the people who make the clothes. So that is what I um, really want to do. And also, I really expect myself to could like go beyond the explorations of humanities and heritage to embrace the spirit of uh, sustainable fashion because it could bring together the creation and social fashion that, that are, I mean, embedded with historical impression and future prospects. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. Any last advice you have for uh, Taiwanese fashion designers back home? <laughs> um, I have to think about this. <laughs> wow. Or something that you think Taiwanese fashion d- design can do better? Wow, okay. Maybe I could share a small story with you. Sure. The reason why I want to go abroad is because in 2017, I think in 2017, <sighs> Um there was a designer from Taiwan. Uh, yeah, I participated in workshop, I mean in Taiwan <laughs> because I really want to because I find that I want to go 
beyond, I mean, uh, the sustainable fashion, also the embracing the craftsmanship in design. But he told me it's he feels like and uh, it's not a good way and it's uh, meaningless because I mean in the whole fashion industry, we have to like earn more money. We have to create more like stuff and also like sell more stuff. I mean it's right, but he say like is a there's a big conflict. Oh. I mean between oh. these two these two points. I mean I I really want to do it, but I was not supported by anyone. I mean in by the contemporary this, society. Yeah, I mean I mean in Taiwan, so mm. I feel a little mm. bit a little bit down. Mm. Yeah, so I I told myself that I think maybe and um, it's a good time to slow down my pace and also to go abroad to uh, see like what other think about the sustainable design, sustainable fashion. Yeah, broaden and your also, horizon. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, in 2018, I joined uh, the Redress Design World. It's, well, it's the most, um, I think it's the biggest sustainable fashion competition over the world I present. Oh, wow. So I participate in the competitions and become uh, one of the 10 finalists. Wow, great. Congratulations. Uh, so I got, I got like this kind of opportunity to uh, communicate with lots of uh, leading um, like peoples, I mean, in I mean fashion. focus on sustainable fashion uh-huh. like Lada Castro she's the founder of uh, Fashion Revolution uh-huh. and also uh, like Christina she's the founder of like Redress and, oh Redress uh, yes okay yeah so uh, we have lots of like, communications mm. to to know like yeah the sustainable fashion is something the big issues and something we could do and there are no any conflicts I mean between and uh, the fashion system and, and the sustainable sustainable approach. Then I go to the Netherlands and participate the redress exhibition as fashion for good in Amsterdam and met one of my angel. I have to say she's really mm. my angel. Okay. And uh, she's she's the editor of Vogue Italy. Okay. okay. She told me what I have to do is I need to really focus on what I believe mm. and stay humble, keep strong, and keep shining. Mm. I think this is also something I could share with all the people who want to uh, keep working on the fashion industry. Stay humble, keep strong, and keep shining. All That's right. what we could do. And just like believe what you believe, I think that's it. <laughs> okay. Wow. Thank you so much, Wei Yu. That was really amazing. And um, thank you so much for sharing your ideas and your, you know, what you believe in. And um, continue yeah. to do great over in 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 the Netherlands. I'm I'm sure you make us proud in Taiwan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thank you so much, Wei Yu. Thank you so much. Yeah. So it's let's so keep honored. in touch. Yeah, I know. Thank you so much, and let's keep in touch. And uh, good luck with everything you do. Thank you so much. Okay. 
listen. Are you listening? <laughs> this is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw. 